So I want to say a big welcome to everyone who might be joining us for the City Temple live stream uh, that is part of our Sunday worship here at City Temple. And if you'd like to join in for the whole service, there's some information for how you can do that. Now, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 3 down to verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14. I mentioned this uh, in my uh, email last, yesterday that uh, this has been one of the most powerful passages in my life uh, since I became a Christian when I was 12 years old uh, and uh, just felt like the Lord was speaking through it for us uh, here in this place. Uh, before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that we can gather together to read your word, to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us, uh, to hear your word proclaimed, and to be empowered and equipped to be your people in the world around us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come open our hearts and our minds, uh, that we might understand and live out what we hear. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. So in 2 Timothy, I'll start reading with verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel." for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. <laughs> but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen strange sights, but the strangest they ever did see 
was the night on the marge of Lake LaBarge I cremated Sam McGee. One of my favorite poems. I actually first memorized that poem back uh, when I was about 10 years old in school. And, and dare I say, it might have been the gateway into preaching for me. Uh, I don't know. But it's a poem called The Cremation of Sam McGee by a guy named Robert W. Service. Uh, that's just a small part of the poem. If I did the whole poem, it'd take about 15 minutes or so. It's a, a great story poem. Uh, and it takes place in the Alaskan wilderness uh, around the time of the Alaskan gold rush in the early 1900s. Uh, and it's about the narrator of the poem and his friend, Sam McGee. And Sam McGee and he uh, are sitting around the fire, and Sam says, I hate the cold. I need you to swear to me if I die, you'll, you'll cremate me. You won't bury me in this. You'll cremate me. And so his friend you know, says, okay, I will do it. And then sure enough, Sam McGee turns off and dies. And so here he is with this frozen corpse in the Alaskan wilderness. And where do you go in the Alaskan? wilderness in the dead of winter to find a place to cremate somebody. Uh, so he goes night after night, day after day with this dog sled, uh, you know, trying to find a place to, to cremate Sam McGee. Uh, and finally, he comes to this frozen lake, Lake LaBarge, uh, and there's a ship on Lake LaBarge, a broken down ship with a, a boiler on it. And so he says, okay, this sounds like the great place. So he stokes up the boiler uh, and then he stuffs in Sam McGee's body. And then uh, he wants to go and make sure that he's, you know, he's cooked. He, he's, he's done being cremated. So he opens the door uh, and there sat Sam looking cool and calm in the heart of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile. You could see a mile. And he said, please close that door. It's fine in here but I greatly fear you'll let in the cold and storm. Since I left Plum Tree down in Tennessee, it's the first time I've been warm. Uh, and that kind of uh, ends and then you end with, with the refrain of it. Yeah, I, I've, spared, I've spared you a lot. But it's a great poem. And in a sense, it's very powerful because Sam McGee's friend, when he makes this promise, he realizes that he has entered into uh, what we might call a sacred trust with Sam McGee. You know, Sam has entrusted his body to his friend to be dealt with in the proper way. And this sacred trust was something that men in that day knew that they could not lay down their sacred trust. They had to fulfill their sacred trust. They had to fulfill those kinds of obligations. And we understand that kind of idea from, from other, uh, uh, in other ways as well, like uh, when parents set up a trust fund for their children and the children cannot access that trust fund and say the parents die, there's always a fund administrator and that fund administrator has to be sure that he or she preserves that trust for the benefit of the children when they mature and they have to make sure that the trust is properly taken care of. It's a sacred trust. And sadly, there have been stories of people who have violated their sacred trust. But the thing is, we all have a sacred trust. We've all been entrusted with something incredibly precious. Every human being has, but especially us as Christians. We have been entrusted with something precious, which is our 
life. Each one of us has been given a life. Who we are, our talents, our abilities, our temperaments. Do you know if you're an introvert or an extrovert? That's a gift. It's not something to be uh, uh, mourned about. It's not something you need to change. It's part of your sacred trust. The resources that you have, the time that you have, your attention. You know, we can only pay so much attention to so many things. Your attention is part of your trust and all your relationships are part of your sacred trust. It's a trust that every single one of us has. And we've been talking about forgetting the normal, forgetting what life was like, and diving into the future that God has for us. That's a, it's important that we dive into God's future. But if you're going to dive into something, you need to make sure that you don't lose what you're bringing along with you. You don't lose your sacred trust. I mean, picture this. Picture you're, you're at the beach and you want to do some uh, cliff diving into the ocean. You know it's safe. And, uh, and, but you have your wallet with you, you have your, your mobile phone, um, maybe you, you have your friend's mobile phone, you don't have anybody to leave these things with, but thankfully you've got a waterproof pack, uh, you can strap it on your body, so what do you do? I mean, you don't, you don't just leave your, your trust there on the beach, anybody could steal it, that would be foolish. So you make sure that it's all wrapped up, you make sure it's watertight, you make sure it's tightly strapped to you so that when you dive into the ocean that all of the things that you bring with you are preserved. And in the same way, we need to be sure that as we are diving into the future that we guard our sacred trust, our lives, everything that God has entrusted to us, everything that God has given us, we need to guard our sacred trust so that we can use what God has given us for the benefit of ourselves as well as the benefit of others. And if we're Christians, we need to use that to advance God's kingdom, to make sure that the world receives a blessing out of who we are in Christ Jesus. And one of the things I love about the passage that we read today, I think three of these verses particularly speak to us and give us some insights about how we need to guard our sacred trust, guard our trust, and what this means for us. How we can guard our sacred trust so that we can dive into God's different, we can dive into the future, knowing that God will use everything that He's given us, everything that we are, He will use that into this future that we're going into, not only to bless ourselves and not only to bless our families, but dare I say, to actually bless the world. So let's look at these three verses, and they're great verses here. Uh, the first one, actually it's two verses, uh, verse 6 and 7 here. For this reason, Paul says to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, many times people wonder, what is the gift of God that is in Timothy through the laying on of his, his hands? Sometimes people think, well, it's a, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes people think, well, uh, maybe it's a, his calling into ministry. Pardon me. 
But the gift of God that's in Timothy through the laying on of his hands is the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is actually given to us all by God when we're converted. It is the Holy Spirit who makes our lives possible in Christ and who makes us new creations in Christ, along with all of the subsequent spiritual gifts that He gives to us. Now, what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us as the gift of God through Christ Jesus, He redeems everything else that God has placed within us in terms of our talents, our abilities, our temperaments, and so on. You know, frankly, before we're in Christ, we are dead, and everything that we are has been distorted by the power of sin and death and evil. But once we are in Christ, we all, all these things are restored to us by life in Jesus Christ. Pardon me all. Uh, been a little uh, coffee today. Not coffee, I wish I had some coffee, but uh, anyway, sorry about that. Now, so what happens is, when we become Christians, God takes everything that's been stained and contaminated by sin, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, He takes all of that and He redeems it, and gives it back to us as a sacred trust that we can now use to bless the world. And that's part of our calling. That's part of the reason why God has redeemed us so that we can be in relationship with Him and also so that we can bless people around us and advance His kingdom and see the glory of Jesus Christ manifested in us. And that is the reality of, for every single Christian. It is true for every single one of us. And it's really, it's, it's time for Christians to stop talking about what they can't do. It's time for Christians to stop talking about how weak they are. It's time for Christians to stop talking about how many faults they have on the inside. It's time for us to stop focusing on those things that the enemy wants us to focus on and to start focusing on how we have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is living inside of us, taking everything that God placed in us when He created us, taking it all, redeeming it so that it can be used for God's purposes in the world around us. And that's great, and that's truth. So how do we do this? Well, Paul goes on to tell Timothy, you do this by keeping the fire burning and into flame what is in your life. Keep the fire burning. Now, one of our favorite things to do when we go up to the Isle of Lewis, when it's possible, is to have a peat fire uh, in, in the house. The peat fire is really lovely. It's got a lovely smell to it. Nothing quite like it. Uh, but the thing is, you know, you can't just light a peat fire and just leave it sit. I mean, you can do that, but eventually it will burn out. If you want to get the full benefit of a peat fire, you just need to keep fanning it into flame. And the great thing about a peat fire is that it can look like it's burned out, but there's still something in there. And all it needs is a little, little air, a little blowing on it, and it will 
immediately erupt back into flame. And that's what we've got to do with our lives. We need to make sure that we are walking with the Lord, that we are practicing our spiritual disciplines, praying, reading the Bible, coming together for worship, uh, all of these kinds of things that God has given us, that we do these things to keep the fire burning. Because the natural tendency, we all need to realize, the natural tendency is for fires to burn themselves out. But the great thing about the Lord is the fire of the Holy Spirit can burn in us without burning us up. The fire of the Lord can burn in us without burning us up. So we need to keep that going. We cannot be passive about this. We must be active. And I have seen so many Christians where their fire has gone out simply because they weren't really active in keeping the fire going. And you know, you need to find out what works for you in this area. It's different things for different people. And let me tell you, sometimes it's different things for different seasons of your life. So you need to be aware of that and be seeking the Lord for how you keep the fire burning. And then Paul goes on to remind something remind Timothy about uh, something about this Holy Spirit who is inside of us that we also need to understand. He says, God has not given us a spirit, here in the ESV it's translated, a spirit of fear. Actually, that's not a really good translation. It's one of the few areas, few times, uh, when the ESV doesn't quite get it right, in my opinion, uh, the, another time will be in, in the next verse, <laughs> too. Um, but uh, this word that's translated fear here uh, is actually the word that means cowardice. Cowardice. The tendency to run away from a fight. The tendency to run away from a difficult situation. Uh, it can also be understood as a kind of anxiety that starts to work its way in our lives and makes us kind of timid uh, so that we don't want to really engage in what we have. If you have this spirit of cowardice, this spirit of timidity, it indicates that you've let your anxiety and your sense of insecurity and your sense of inadequacy start to run away with you uh, and you haven't really looked at the resources God has given you. You have not really looked at your sacred trust. It's kind of like the box that Karen used, the treasure box earlier. You put it on the shelf, it gains a lot of dust, you never look inside of it, and you forget what's there. And then you get timid, uh, you, you become a coward, you start to back away from challenges, and whenever that happens, no, it's not the Spirit of God that's doing that. But instead... The spirit that God has given us is a spirit of power, of dunamis. The power of God, the ability to change things, to get things done. It's also the spirit of agape, the spirit of love, that self-giving commitment to other people for their benefit. It's also a spirit of self-discipline, self-control. It's translated in a lot of different ways. Many apologies. And the reason that's translated differently is that this is the only place in the whole Bible this word occurs. 
And so a lot of people really struggle with it because of that. So when you look at the meaning, probably self-control is the easiest way for us to describe it. But it's more than just self-control. It is about controlling your thoughts and your actions so that you don't believe lies or behave rashly or wrongly. So you control what's going on in your mind and you control what you choose to do so that you don't believe lies and you don't behave rashly and, in addition, so that you have a balanced assessment of what's going on around you. So you got to control your thoughts, you got to control your actions, because that's the only way that you can see what's really happening. And right now, I mean, there, there are a lot of people in our society that are filled with anxiety, and they don't see the reality. They really don't see what's going on. A lot of times, you know, people in, in marriages and things are having problems because there's anxiety, there's timidity there in that relationship, and they, they haven't tapped into the self-control from the Holy Spirit so that they can rightly assess the situation. And many times people will think, well, you know, my marriage is falling apart because we had an argument or we had a disagreement, or they'll think I need to go to another church because uh, the people there don't like me, and, and all these kinds of things. And what we need to, is to act, to use self-control. And we've seen this a lot during the lockdown. Now, I've seen Christians, uh, both here in the UK and in the US, U.S., who have reacted emotionally or angrily during the various lockdowns. They get caught into all kinds of conspiracy theories. All of these things are going to happen. They get caught up with, with all kinds of strange views about what is really going on, which makes them unable to really look at what is actually happening, to look at reality. One of the reasons why I support this most recent uh, attempt by the church leaders to reopen the church Uh, reopen churches is one they have all taken a very balanced and focused approach you can tell it's coming out of a spirit of self-control and as people have pressed the scientists about the reason to lock down churches to close churches they've had to admit that there's no evidence that having churches open is contributing to the spread of the virus and that's true right now there isn't any evidence in the UK that having these churches open are contributing to the spread of the virus. So we need this power. We need the love. And if we have the power, if we especially have the love, then out of that will flow this self-control so that we're controlling our thoughts, we're controlling our actions, so we can have a more balanced view about what is happening around us. And that's essential if we're going to guard our trust if we're going to guard what God has given us. Otherwise, the danger is the fire can go out. And many times it's much more difficult to restart a fire than it would have been not to have allowed the fire to go out in the first place. Then there's a second verse here. Uh, And this is verse 12. And again, this is another verse where I think the the ESV, pardon me, gets it wrong. Uh, although in the in the translator's favor, uh, there is a lot of uh, are a lot of number of translators who would support 
him or her. I don't know the gender of the translator. But I want to go back to the more traditional uh, wording of this, so I'm going to read it. I know whom, this verse 12, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. It's not what God has entrusted to me, it's what I have entrusted to him. And actually the, the sense of the Greek, I won't go through that with you, but the sense of the Greek, I am convinced, means that that is the preferred translation of this. I know, who I'm ha- who, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Now, I love this. It's a brilliant statement of faith here. And remember, Christian faith is choosing to trust and act based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded on the Bible, that comes through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and that's the, the core of our faith is, is knowing God. And notice what Paul says here. He says, I know the one that I have believed. I know God. I've studied about God. I've walked with God. I know God. And because I know God, because I know God is sovereign, He is holy, He is good, He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, He is all-present. Because I know who God is, I am absolutely convinced, convinced that He is able to guard what I'm going to entrust to him until the day that Jesus Christ comes again. So Paul knows who he has to believe. And frankly, we can't guard our trust unless we really know God. You need to know God. You need to grow in your faith and you will grow in your faith as you know God. And as, you, uh, as your faith grows, you will also know God better. So it's really important for us. So I know who I have believed. But what's this idea about what I've entrusted to him? I mean, doesn't God entrust all of this to us? And yes, it's true. But understand, when we become Christians, we surrender our lives to God. We surrender our lives to God. In fact, you cannot be a Christian unless you willingly surrender your life fully to God. So what has happened here is that God has given us this precious gift, which is our lives, our relationships. He's given us this precious gift. And when we become Christians, we say, okay, God, I'm taking this gift of my life and I am depositing this with you. I am surrendering my life to you with the confidence that if I surrender my life to you, I will get my life back. If I surrender my life to you, I'll get my life back. It's like what Jesus said. He who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for me and for the gospel will find it. It's the promise of God. And so we surrender our lives to God We give ourselves to God as a deposit with the faith that God will be able to guard the life that we're giving Him 
until the day that Jesus Christ returns when he will take that life and he will give it back to us and he will multiply it to us into all eternity. Now here's the challenge. If you refuse to surrender your life, every aspect of your life, whatever aspect of your life you refuse to surrender, that portion of your life is subject to loss. Whatever you don't surrender to God is subject to loss. As Jesus said, it's where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, as Matthew 6, 19. But we want to surrender everything to God because if we don't, if we hold back anything, that thing that we hold back is subject to moths and rust, destruction, being stolen from us. So we have to surrender everything. But the only way that we can surrender everything is if we have faith. We have to have that confidence that God will guard the trust that I give him and then return it to me multiplied on the day in which Jesus returns. And this is especially important in those circumstances of our lives that don't seem to match up to what I've entrusted to God. I mean, we all give God our hopes and our dreams, the desire for our present, our future. I mean, all of these things are part of what we surrender up to God. We surrender up to God the desire to have a happy life, the desire to have a peaceful life. You know, all of this we give to God. But what happens when it doesn't seem like our life is working out right. When it seems that God might even be wasting our lives. When it seems that God is not delivering us from suffering and from difficulty. I know I had a a friend from my first church when I was in my second church and we were going through a, a difficult time in that season. We'd gone through some challenges in our first church and, and this was actually a good friend. Uh, and when she heard that we were going through challenges in our second church, she emailed me, uh, as all good friends do, and says, why do you continue to waste your, lives on ch- your life on churches like this? Why are you wasting your life? And that's a hard thing to look at. I mean, I've known a lot of Christians who struggled with those kinds of thoughts. Why are you wasting your life? Why are you holding yourself and keeping yourself pure when you might not get married? Why are you giving money to the church when you're not really seeing a whole lot of benefit out of it when you could keep it and maybe have a nicer holiday next year? And we, we deal with these kinds of things And the question constantly comes up, are we wasting our lives? And you know what I said to her at that time, and it's still true in my life, and let me tell you, it's been challenged many times. I told her, my life belongs to God, and so it is God's to waste as he sees fit. And if God wants me to waste my life, So be it. That's God's decision. It's not mine because I have entrusted my life. I've entrusted my ministry. I've entrusted everything to God. All of it. And let me tell you, as you get older, 
you start to feel the weight of all that you've entrusted to God more and more. But, you know, it's like Peter says, 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, we have to entrust our lives to God. The sacred trust that we've received, as it's redeemed, we give it back to God. And I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard, to protect, to, to invest wisely so that there is multiplication whatever I have entrusted to him. And as Christians, we must have that attitude if we're going to guard our trust. And then there's a third verse here, a challenge from Paul to Timothy. It's verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So it's an amazing thing what happens. It's an amazing dynamic, relational dynamic with God. So Jesus gives his life to us, and we are redeemed through the life of Jesus Christ, broken on the cross and through the empty tomb. And in order to enter into that relationship, we have to take our life and give it to Jesus. And he redeems it all and cleans it up and makes it effective and productive and fruitful, and he takes it all. And then he gives it to us where we give it to him Again, entrusting God, and we continually give it to Him. It's not a one-time surrendering. It's an ongoing surrendering. We continually give it to Him, knowing that He will use it to produce maximum righteousness, maximum fruitfulness, maximum kingdom advance. But we got to do that almost blind because we won't see the full outcome until the day when that trust matures. And then God has taken, and in the meantime, given us a deposit back, given us a glimpse back of what we've given to Him, and we have to take it and guard that good deposit entrusted to us. Now the idea here to guard something is to preserve it and pay attention to it you got to preserve it and pay attention to it. In other words, if I'm going to guard my car, if I'm going to guard my car, it means maintaining it and using it properly. If I'm going to guard my house, it means paying attention to my house, looking after it and, and watching for problems that might arise, but also getting the best use out of it for myself and for anybody that might come after me. All of this is in in the idea of guard. So it's not something we do passively. It's something we do actively. And it's not something that we do just setting something aside. It's something we do as we are using something actively and in an ongoing way. So we have to guard the good deposit. Now, what's, good, what's the good deposit? It's our gifts, it's our talents, it's our abilities, our resources, including our time and our attention. 
for, for Timothy, this was also the pattern of ministry and teaching that he had received from the Apostle Paul. Now, we can only guard what's been entrusted to us, the sacred trust that God has given to us. We can only do this in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is good news because it means it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your strength. It doesn't depend on your wisdom. It doesn't depend on your grace. It all depends on the Holy Spirit who is inside of each one of us, who will, if we are willing to fan all of this into flame and keep it burning, keep it alive, he will work in us and he will work through us to preserve, to guard that trust that we have been given by God so that again, it achieves maximum fruitfulness, maximum blessing in the world. And by the way, when I say that, it's not just about church, it's also about business, about what you do in the workplace, uh, what you're doing in the home, and on and on and on and on. So practically, what does it mean then to guard this trust that God has given us? Well, we guard the trust by paying attention to God and the things of God. I think one of the most powerful verses I know of is Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. Uh, and it's what Jesus says here. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This means if we pay attention to God, to the things of God, to all that he's entrusted to us, he'll multiply it. He'll give us more. But if we do not pay attention to God and the things of God, what little we have will be lost. It will be taken away from us. Not that God necessarily will take it away, but thieves can come in and take it away. Uh, Moth and rust can destroy it. Uh, And so it's very, very important that we pay attention to God and the things of God. It has to be done day by day. Another way that we guard what has been entrusted to us is to be in union with other believers in Jesus Christ. There really is safety in numbers. And if we are walking together with other Christians, we can help guard one another. We can help preserve and protect one another. We cannot do this alone. We need the Holy Spirit and we need other believers in Jesus Christ. We also guard this trust that we've been given through obedience. And this is a big thing for us. We must obey God. And this means using what He's entrusted to us in accordance with His will. Now, if God has given you an ability to serve in a particular way, then it's wrong to withhold that. You need to be serving that way. You need to be giving that way. You need to be living in obedience, walking in obedience to God every single day so that you are using what He's entrusted to you in accordance with, your, with His will, which is always found in the Scripture but he'll also speak with you in particular ways. But obedience is absolutely essential. You cannot walk with the Lord unless you are walking in obedience. Obedience is essential. 
And finally, you guard your trust. We guard our trust, that sacred trust we've been given through faithfulness and perseverance. Now, over the years, there have been different parts of the scripture that, you know, as, as a young Christian, you know, different things that you like to grab onto. I know when I was a, a young believer, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but, a, but of power and of love and self-control. I mean, that was one of my favorite verses. Uh, and I really like to major on the power stuff. Uh, I wasn't too focused on the love or self-control in those days. It was about power. I want more power. I want to live in power. I want the power of God flowing in me and flowing through me. It was a lot of fun to cast out demons and, and engage in spiritual warfare and all these things. Because it's power. You know, it's all about power. But as I've grown older, and as I've really studied the Scriptures more, you know what I've discovered? What God really values in terms of the way that we guard our trust? It's faithfulness and perseverance. We must live in faithfulness day by day, and we must persevere. We must not quit. You know something? Two or three times a week, on average, I'm tempted to quit. You know, and I keep saying, God, give me a few million quid so I can go buy a castle in Scotland and just, you know, live the rest of my life in castle-like luxury. You know, the, by the way, the only person who ever says that are somebody that's never lived in a castle. Because if you live in a castle, you find out they're cold, they're damp, uh, they're very uncomfortable places to live and very expensive to take care of. So probably that's not what I want. But, you know, you can dream. You know, a guy can dream. And I think it's true for a lot of us, you know. How many times have you thought about, I'm just going to quit this church thing. This doesn't seem to be right. It's really hard right now. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit this friendship. Because, you know, we used to walk uh, really well together. And now, you know, they're kind of ugly and I don't really like them so much. You know, I want to quit my marriage. I want to quit my job. I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit using my gifts. Uh, I want people to serve me. I don't want to have to keep serving. That's especially a problem with older Christians. And perseverance says, I will not quit. I will not stop. I will keep going. I will continue to guard the trust, the sacred trust that God has given to me. Knowing that God will bring fruitfulness, God will accomplish his purposes, and God will work everything in my life for good because I've been called according to his purpose. God has given me a sacred trust and I have given my life as a sacred trust to God. And in this mutual trust relationship, God has determined to accomplish great things in our world, to see his kingdom come and his will be done and to see Jesus Christ glorified. Take stock. Look and see the trust that God has given to you and fan the Holy Spirit into flame in your life so that this trust accomplishes all God intends. 
to the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do honor you and praise you and worship you. And we thank you for the sacred trust that you've given us. Father, show us how to guard our sacred trust individually and corporately. Show us how to walk and continue walking in faithfulness and perseverance. Show us how to fan and to flame the Holy Spirit inside of us so that the Spirit manifests in power, in love, and in a self-control. Show us how great and marvelous and wonderful you are and help us to live with confidence that you are able to guard the lives we've surrendered to you until that day when Jesus Christ returns and they are multiplied back to us. We love you and praise you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.